to smoke about this time of the day. And all this is keeping me to where I can't go do it. Now, I'm gonna go do it. Well, hello, and welcome to another session of About This Time of Day, a Teen Mom podcast, where we are living in 2010 and would like to stay there. My name is V, I am your host, and this is a podcast where we get a little high and talk a little teen mom. In this session, we will be discussing episode two of Teen Mom 2, So Much to Lose. The description reads, Leah breaks down when the health of one of her twins is in question, while Chelsea starts hanging out with her ex-boyfriend. Kaylin starts dating a new guy, much to the dismay of her ex, Joe, and Janelle tries to move back home. Well, that didn't take long. This session's companion strain is one of my favorite strains here in my state's medical program called Big Head. Go ahead and infer what you will. But I will say it's really strong, but not overwhelming. And there's a surprising citrusy scent and taste to it, even though there's also a lot of purple, which I don't always see that come up prominently in the purples that I've had. But, you know, I'm not a connoisseur or anything like that. But I will say this is one of my favorite strains and definitely recommend it if you uh, have access to clutch cannabis. Definitely. And this episode starts off with Miss Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea, how very disappointed I was to read the description, but it's not like I didn't know this was coming. The scene begins with Chelsea and Megan having fun and joking around in the house that Chelsea's dad is paying rent for for them. And Chelsea's voiceover tells us that they are having a great time living together and she loves living with her best friend. This is all well and good, but as the scene continues, Chelsea's voiceover does say that it does get a little lonely when Megan goes out and Chelsea has to stay behind. The scene cuts to Megan doing her hair in the bathroom and asking Chelsea how should she do her hair tonight. Part of me wants to say maybe this is kind of an inconsiderate question, but a larger part of me says that Chelsea knew the expectations going into it. Not that she's not entitled to feel lonely or left out when Megan has to go out, but I am thinking that maybe it's a little heavier for her than she expected. Megan heads out for the night, and Chelsea is home alone with Aubrey. Chelsea's voiceover says that even though she loves spending time with Aubrey, she does still get lonely, and sometimes she thinks about Adam. The scene transitions to the next day where Chelsea and Megan are having a little chat in Chelsea's room. Okay, you're gonna think I'm so dumb, but I kind of miss Adam. He's been texting me, and he wants to like, come around and stuff. You mean, like, to see the Aubrey. house? Like, come here? I think so. I don't think so. I should probably say no. Okay, I already have to stop and interject here. I love how Megan immediately... Oh, I don't think so. Here in the house? Absolutely not. It's very clear that Megan is not about this idea whatsoever. And Chelsea is still so noncommittal. I should probably say no. No, girl, you should say no. Isn't that weird, though? I don't understand how you... At times, like when you're sad or whatever, you say you miss him. 
Like, how can you miss somebody that's done all that stuff to you? No, that's how I feel. But I'm not even gonna even think about it. I know you're gonna end up talking to him sooner or later. No. Yeah, he will. And another thing. So obviously we know from listening to this podcast, I am not a doctor. I have very few accreditations, no publications. So take me as seriously as you want. And I don't want to diagnose her, but I will say that that statement alone, you know, how could you want to be with somebody who's done all those things to you? I don't know. I just do is a huge sign that you should go to therapy. If you have thoughts like that, and I'm not judging you because I am still in the middle of bullshit like that right the fuck now, we have to get better, right girls and guys and non-binaries, whoever's listening, all of y'all, we have to get better. And Chelsea in this moment needs to do better for herself. And I feel like if she would just get into therapy, get just push her into the door of therapy, she could be avoiding so many issues that come up with this stupid fucking dumbass Adam. Oh, I can't stand him. I also want to take a moment to point out that when you hear Megan respond to Chelsea with, yeah, you will, it sounds lighthearted when you're listening to it, but I can promise you that the look on her face is disgusted and exhausted maybe more exhausted than disgusted, but it's like, I know you're going to talk to him again. Why are we even having this discussion? A waste of her time. It's written all over her face, and I just want to make sure that gets across here to us listeners. Well, I don't know. I think I'm not going to talk to him. I'm just going to see if he talks to me, and then I'll go from there. I don't know. My head is like, what the hell are you thinking? And what is your heart saying? Your heart's like, just try it. No, it's supposed to be the opposite. It should be. Your heart should be like, what the f***? Don't do this. And your head should want to do it. No, the brain is the smart one. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Whether it's my brain or my heart, something's telling me I still miss Adam. Okay, well, Megan made some really good points right up until the end there. Hey, I can't blame the girl for getting confused. It's a heated conversation, okay? (laughs) Regardless, I'm not really looking forward to seeing what this wonderful new reignited infatuation with Adam will bring. Great. Chelsea's next scene is brief, but we do get to see her interact with her father in a bit more intense way than I think we've ever seen before. Chelsea's voiceover says that she's been distracted since thinking about Adam the other day, but she needs to buckle down and get some schoolwork done, so she's going over to her dad's to study. As she's working at her dad's table, her dad comes over and starts grilling her a little bit on when everything is due for her schoolwork and if she's on track with getting everything done. If you worked hard every day, how long would it take you to finish this class? Like a couple of days. Then do it. It's, but there's more than this class. You just have to commit. You set a goal and say, I'm going to be done by I this time. I know that. When do you want to be done by? I don't know. What's a, the end of summer. I mean, if you don't go to school, I'm not going to support you. You know that. I know that. All right, and if you don't finish high school, then you better be having yourself a pretty good little job. All right. You want fries with that? You think that's gonna be me? If you don't get your button gear, yeah. If I don't buckle down, I won't have a diploma or my dad's support. 
Okay, well, firstly, I just want to say that about this time of day does not subscribe to what Randy thinks about fast food workers. There's no shame in working a fast food job. Yes, I want fries with that, and I thank you for your service once again. I feel like I've already said that in this episode about other um like retail workers and restaurant people, but I'm serious. Y'all are the backbone of the society, so no shame there. And I also want to comment on how it's kind of good to see Randy lean into Chelsea a little bit. I know she kind of has the rap, especially early on, in being coddled by her father and being favored and a bit of a silver spoon. And, you know, she's definitely very privileged, as we've discussed, but... We do see Randy trying to lay down some rules here with her, and it's good to see that in action. Even if she struggles a little bit, at least we know where Randy stands and that we see him trying to put up those boundaries. In Chelsea's next scene, we are told that Adam has recently texted Chelsea and wants to meet up to see baby Aubrey. I'm sure everybody at home is screaming, no, don't fucking do it. But of course, Chelsea says, sure, why not? Come on over. And has yet to tell Megan, her housemate and best friend. We see Chelsea at home with Megan sitting at the table. And Chelsea lets her know that, hey, Adam's coming over to see Aubrey. Megan asks when. And Chelsea says, today. Today? Yes, today, Chelsea confirms. Not cool, if you ask me. This dude is a fucking psycho, and you're just letting him in the house without very much notice at all. I would be a very angry roommate if I were Megan. Megan does say that she doesn't think it's a great idea, and not long after that, there's a knock on the door. Chelsea asks Megan if she'll go answer it, and I'm pretty sure that Megan says shut the fuck up, but it's bleeped out so I can't really tell. Chelsea goes and answers the door. Adam gives his sheepish little hi, and Chelsea invites him in. Of course, baby Aubrey is sleeping, so Adam asks Chelsea if she wants to go talk. They head upstairs to Chelsea's room, And Chelsea asks Megan to keep an eye on baby Aubrey. Once they're settled in Chelsea's room, Adam starts making his case. Started missing you. I think it's time to change. It's time to grow up a lot. I mean, we had a really bad breakup. Yeah. It wasn't as much the stuff you said about me. It was like when you would say stuff about Aubrey. People make mistakes, obviously. You say dumb when you're mad, and obviously you're going to regret it, which I do. God. But there's reasonings why I sent that text and just send it out at random. I know. Are you going to, like, quit that? Yeah, that was almost a year ago, Chelsea. I've matured since then. It was not almost a year ago. Yeah, right. Aubrey was. was, like, two months old, and she's nine months. Yes, I don't know. So, first of all, notice Adam's cadence, the way he's talking. It starts off very slow. Oh, I started missing you. It goes from fuckboy to douchebag asshole in about 3.5 seconds. Very, very quickly, as soon as Chelsea brings up anything that Adam may have done wrong, like insulted their baby daughter and called her a mistake, well, 
He doesn't like that very much, and even though it's subtle, you can 100% pick up on the increase of the pace of his speech and the increase of the use of the word obviously, a defensive mechanism of some kind. Well, obviously, everyone makes mistakes, and obviously, you say things you don't mean. And this I thought was weird. Obviously... There were other reasons that I sent that text. It wasn't just random. And Chelsea agrees. What other reason could you possibly have for sending that text? I don't understand where that is ever okay or excusable in any way, shape, or form. Just disgusting. I can't believe he would even try to say that in this moment. I don't know. Where do you want to go from here? I'd be around her more and watch her grow up because I know I've missed a lot. You weren't there for when she started rolling over or when she got her first tooth. Yeah. I couldn't imagine missing that stuff, being a parent. It sucks. I don't even want to start, like, getting my hopes up unless things are actually different. I want to be able to trust you, but I don't yet. I mean, let's hang out. I'll show that you can trust me. It's nice that Adam says he wants to change, but I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, but you still let him over the house pretty much without having to work for it, let him into your room to have a private conversation about coming back into your life, you've already opened up the door pretty wide for him, Chelsea. It's not going to take too much to get back into your good graces, I have this feeling. In Chelsea's next scene, Adam is shown leaving the house after their conversation, and Megan and Chelsea sit down on the couch for a debrief. Chelsea says that they might get back together, and Megan straight up advises against it. She says she doesn't think that would be a good idea, especially after everything he put her through and all the mean texts that he sent her. Chelsea says to Megan that maybe Adam has changed, and she assures Megan that she's not going back to him right now. She has to wait and see how things go first. Chelsea says if Aubrey has the opportunity to have two good parents, then she should. Megan smartly replies, well, Adam better turn good. I mean, right? It's not that Aubrey is missing out on a good parent right now. She has a good parent. Adam is a warm body. Next up, we have Janelle. You may remember that in the last episode, Janelle was just served with custody papers by her mother, Barbara. Janelle had been continuing to go out and continuing to ignore her mother and causing huge arguments where it really wasn't necessary and overall just not being a great parental figure. So Barbara took it upon herself to serve Janelle. As we open up with her in this episode, Janelle's voiceover tells us that she has been staying with her friend Amber since she'd gotten served with those papers and not staying at home with Jace and her mother. It's been about a week since she has seen Jace and all she wants is to see her son again. In Janelle's first scene, apparently she's already preparing for court. Her voiceover says that she should be getting ready to go to college, but she has court tomorrow. So her friends are coming over since she's super stressed. Janelle's friends Lauren and Tyler come over to Amber's place where Janelle is staying, and the three of them have a conversation in Janelle's room. It starts off talking about whether or not Janelle really thinks that Barbara would try to take Jace away from her. And the following conversation is 
extremely chopped and screwed. There's a lot of editing going on here, and even what they do put together is a little confusing. Janelle's answer to, do you think Barbara will try to take Jace from you, is, well, my mom thinks that I don't really take care of Jace, but I try real hard, but she just doesn't believe me. What the fuck does that even mean? How does that answer the question at all? And again, this is chopped and screwed. Like you can listen to it and hear the audio cuts. And maybe it's just because I've been doing this podcast, I can hear it a little better than I used to, or I just watched too much of my 600 pound life where the editing is terrible. And we hear it here as well with terrible editing and just a very confusing conversation. In response to Janelle saying that she tries her best, but her mom doesn't believe her, Lauren says, I I don't know, but if it were me, I would want to have all the rights to my kids, not just some, which is like, ooh, okay, yes, but also in reality, not always possible. Janelle does remind her that she has half and that if Andrew goes a full year without seeing Jace, she'll get full custody. Isn't that kind of weird? She doesn't say it like that, but it very much comes off like a buy one, get one free kind of thing. Ah, well, if he goes a full year, I get Jace forever. You know, it just, that's what I mean. Jace never really seems like a a child to me in Janelle's eyes. I feel like she always sees him as a pawn, an object to be used for something. And when she talks about that, I'll have full custody in a year if his dad doesn't see him, it's so flippant. Like, how tragic is it that his dad really may go a full year without seeing him and forfeit his rights as a father? That's awful. But Janelle, it's kind of just one of those things. I don't know. It's very strange. The conversation continues, and Janelle goes on to try to say that she knows she's a good mom, and she has her own ways of raising Jace, and it's her child, not Barbara's, essentially. And you hear her friend Lauren agreeing with her. And I can't really blame Lauren because, one, she is an outsider. She doesn't see how Janelle acts behind closed doors with cameras in front of her, apparently. She doesn't know that she may not know that Janelle is truly a negligent parent. But because Barbara is so controlling and is so in your face about how things should be, it's very easy for all of Janelle's friends to be like, oh yeah, I can see your mom just freaking out and trying to take over and just disagreeing with you because you're not doing what she wants. I can't say it's totally warranted, but I can't say it's totally not warranted either because you see how Barbara acts. You see her needing to get the last word when they're arguing, which is a very immature stance. So wouldn't it also be immature to serve your daughter with custody papers because she puts his pajamas on incorrectly? Maybe in their experience with Barbara, it's not far-fetched. So Janelle very easily can weave this story of, I am a good mom. I do right by my child. Before I would go out part, she says this, before when he was little, I would go out partying, but now it's like, I have to see my kid. Girl, you haven't seen him in a week and you haven't even mentioned trying to get in contact with your mother to see him. I know it's dicey with the papers, but if you're trying to win approval, wanting to see your son and putting shit behind you is probably the best way to go. I don't know why Janelle takes this, it's not even an off-beaten path. It's more of like, 
a reckless, treacherous trail that will only lead to destruction. Very entertaining. The scene ends on a very strange quote from Janelle, in my opinion. Lauren and Janelle are sitting there discussing how controlling Barbara is. Tyler has been silent the entire time, so clearly the boyfriend. Janelle and Lauren are discussing how controlling Barbara is, and Janelle says that Barbara is trying to take advantage of Jace, and that Barbara thinks that Jace is hers, but he's not. I don't know what she means by take advantage of, and I'm wondering if she's not just using a big word. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't really make sense, and I'm I'm conspiratorial, you know, I will try to think of any way this could possibly make sense, and it's just not coming to me. I'm going to take another hit from my bong. I brought my bong over to the apartment, you guys, and I will um, revisit this quote. She wants to have control over everything is what it is. Yeah, she And it's because she thinks she don't know what you're doing. And she wants to try to take advantage of Jace. She thinks that Jace is hers, but he's not. Yeah, the best I'm coming up with is a word salad type of deal. Advantage was just a big word that she could think of, but the main point that she wanted to get across there was that Jace does not belong to her mother. He's my child, not yours. Immediately contradicting Janelle's belief, in her next scene, we see her going to court against Barbara for custody of Jace. It's this big emotional kind of buildup. There's sad, sappy music playing in the background while you see Barbara loading up Jace in the car, Janelle getting herself ready and having her friend drive her to the courthouse. It's kind of a big to-do, all to get to a continuance. Barbara arrives at the courthouse before Janelle, and we see her and her lawyer briefly discussing the basics of the case. He very confidently says that it's not going to be a difficult case, and that Barbara is clearly the more stable one between the two of them. Barbara readily agrees, and even says something about how she's been ready to go for this, which I think is an interesting way to put it, but I'm going to hope that she means ready to fight for Jace's safety and not ready to go up against her daughter. Janelle walks in briefly after Barbara. We see her sit down and then the next thing we see is Barbara's lawyer coming to meet Janelle and he says, so Janelle I understand that you want to ask for a continuance for this trial because you want time to secure a lawyer and she says yes I do. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I guess it's only halfway through the episode, not even, so yeah, all right. Barbara's lawyer brings out a continuance form and has Janelle sign it, and I assume Barbara has to sign it as well, but once those formalities are done, Barbara takes that moment to, you know, give Janelle some pointers for what she's going against. Hey, Janelle, you have to go find out how to get a lawyer. I know how to get one. How do you do that? I call him up and iron him. That's all. How are you going to pay him? Ooh, okay. Janelle did not think that far ahead. Her scene kind of fades out from there, and her voiceover says she's now realizing just how serious her mom is about taking custody of Jace. You mean you actually had to go to the courthouse to realize that? And now... 
her voiceover says, she only has two weeks to get a lawyer that presumably she can't pay for. This girl is crazy. I mean, maybe it is just the short-sightedness of being a teenager. Maybe it's MTV setting the scene up to look this way, where Janelle is completely stopped by the question of payment of the lawyer. Initially, it's so easy. Pick up the phone and hire him. Maybe she got confused that because the court would provide her a lawyer, she thought she was entitled to a lawyer and wouldn't have to pay anyone. But unfortunately, you do want that public defender if you don't want to pay, because that's what they're there for. If you want to go outside of that, now you're talking some Boku bucks. But we'll see how Janelle does here, because I know eventually she does get hooked up with a magician of a lawyer. Oh, this girl. In Janelle's next scene, we see her meet up and consult with a lawyer. I don't know if this is a free consultation or how that works. I assume MTV probably fronted her the money to have this if it did cost something, but I plead ignorance. I, I don't know how this works. I only sued one person because they hit me with their car. I was in the other car. It was terrible, and they didn't even give her a fucking ticket, so I sued her ass. I got $4,000. Anyway, the lawyer asks her some very point-blank questions. Are you able to care for your child? Which Janelle then has to answer truthfully and says, I don't have a job or a place to stay for right now. Well, that's going to be a real hard sell to a judge now, isn't it? I don't know. It just doesn't sound great. And uh, the lawyer does tell her that she would have to provide significant proof that she could handle caring for Jace. And then the lawyer brings up the all-important question. Courts are very cautious about parents using um, alcohol and illegal drugs. Mm -hmm. Are you using? I don't drink. I've not touched any drugs in my life except marijuana. But I mean, I don't do it that much. Okay. I love that pause. It's just perfect. But I can't pass judgment. You know, we all smoke here, but... If you're trying to get custody of your son, maybe cut back a little bit. That's all I'm trying to say. The lawyer continues and asks Janelle if she's considered how that impacts her child, which Janelle says, oh, no, of course, and, and I would stop if I had custody of Jace. Not in order to get custody of Jace, if I had custody, which is a pretty big if. I, I don't know if she's aware of the nuances of that when it comes to these sort of things, but I guess she'll find out. Janelle continues and asks the lawyer how much it would be to hire her. The lawyer informs Janelle that she has a $5,000 retainer, and then it's $200 per hour after that. It becomes very costly, she says, because you never know. It could take two hours. It could take 200 hours. And... At that point, the conversation is pretty much over. With Janelle facing the harsh financial reality of her situation, Janelle decides to put her tail between her legs and go running back to mommy. We see Janelle, it's nighttime, she's pulled over in her car and on the phone. Barbara picks up on the other line and they start to have a conversation. Janelle says, I'm wondering something. Barbara says, uh-oh, what's this? And Janelle asks if she could come home. Barbara asks, what is all this about? 
immediately I personally thought um, she found out how much a lawyer costs and doesn't want to deal with the legal fees, so definitely wants to put all of this messiness behind her. But Janelle comes up with a more eloquent answer and says she's experienced the real world and she doesn't like it and she just wants to be back home and taking care of baby Jace. How nice. Barbara says, well, you know what, Janelle, you need to respect me more. You need to take care of this baby. You need to help out around the house. And if you play me this time, girly, she doesn't say girly, but she might as well have. If you play me this time, you will be back out and I will not accept you back in. That will be it. Do you understand me? Janelle says she understands. The entire time they're talking, she's not making any sarcastic faces, rolling her eyes. It seems like she's taking the conversation very seriously. I just don't know if that's more of a reflection of how badly she wants to be back home and wants to be rid of this legal mess versus how seriously she takes Barbara. Time will tell. In Janelle's next scene, she returns home to Barbara, Barbara's boyfriend, and baby Jace. By the time Janelle gets home, it's almost time for Jace's bedtime, so she's only able to spend a few minutes with him before Barbara scoops him up for bed. Once Barbara puts him to bed, she comes back out, sits down with Janelle, and has a discussion with her. Barbara starts off by saying, even though I served you with custody papers, you can still live in my house. Oh, shit. Okay, so that's not just going away. That's actually going to be a problem Janelle has to deal with while living in the same house as her mother. I can only see this going well. Barbara continues to explain to Janelle that right now, it's just best for Jace if he stays with Barbara and her house is the best place for him and on and on and that's fine and good. But as the scene ends, Janelle's voiceover confirms, I thought my mom would drop the custody once I moved back home but I guess not. Looks like there's not an easy way out on this one. Next up, we have Kaylin. Her voiceover reminds us that even though she and Joe broke up, Joe's mom is very graciously allowing her to stay in their basement since she doesn't really have any other living options right now. Kale's voiceover says that she and Joe are trying their best to get along despite the awkward living circumstances. And that day, they're actually going to a local pool with baby Isaac to get out in the sun and have a little quality family time. The scene transitions to Kale and Joe and baby Isaac on their way to the pool. And Kale is being very aggressive about her driving suggestions. And it makes for a tense atmosphere, that's for sure. Once they finally park close enough to the pool, we see Kalen in the pool water with baby Isaac in his little bathing suit and puffy diaper. It's always so fun to see babies who are still in diapers in the pool. I know it's a little gross, but I don't know. They always puff up really big because of all the water and they're walking all around and it's heavy. And I just think it's funny and cute. I don't, I love it. I think it's adorable. And besides, this is like the kiddie pool shallow end, three feet is the deep end kind of thing. While Kale and Isaac are having all this fun in the sun, Joe is sitting by himself in the shade. Kale's voiceover says, she knows that she and Joe are broken up and it's kind of awkward, but it really sucks that he won't even interact with his son. And I gotta say, it doesn't look 
good. He looks very disinterested. I mean, he's kind of watching them, but it might also be a camera trick. You know, it's one of those moments. Not Joe's best. And like I told you before, this first season probably won't look great for him, but hang in there, people. He's going to get better. When Kale and Isaac are done playing in the water, Joe comes over with a towel. Kale picks up Isaac and places him in the towel with Joe. It's a cute moment, but really that's the most interaction that I've seen the two of them have since they've gotten to the pool. Again, editing, who knows, but it's a weird feeling. They go back and sit on the bench and start getting ready to leave, drying off Isaac, getting him changed, and when Kale asks Joe to put Isaac in the carrier, because, I don't know, maybe Kale wants the two of them to have some sort of connection for the day that they just had, Joe makes a big fuss about it and says, what does it matter? He's already in your hands. Just put him in the carrier. Okay, completely missing the point, but whatever, it's not worth the argument. Kale puts him in the carrier, and Joe buckles him in. Afterwards, Kale says to Joe, why are you looking at me like you hate me? And Joe says, oh, I don't hate you yet. I just dislike you. That ends out their scene, and Kale's voiceover says, so much for trying to get along. Yeah, I would say so. I hate when people fucking say shit like that. You don't have to rub it in. Obviously, you don't like me or you don't like Kaylin or whoever the fuck it is. It doesn't matter. Do you really have to go that extra mile and say, oh, I just dislike you. Oh, I don't hate you right now. What the fuck does that mean? Like he can grow to hate her? Like she's actively doing things at that moment to make him grow to hate her, which may be true, but for the sake of living in the same house, do you have to verbalize that? And maybe it's the emotional immaturity. Maybe this is not something within Joe's grasp to understand he should not say. But I'm here to tell you, Joe, 11 years too late, that you should not be doing shit like that. You should not be saying shit like that. You need to shape up, son. I am not impressed. Okay, so I may be coming down on Joe a lot here, but this next scene will totally even it out with Kale. In Kale's next scene, we are shown a few scenes of domestic awkwardness, while Kale's voiceover tells us that even though Joe's parents have been trying to make things work for all of them living in harmony, it's clear at this point that she and Joe are just never going to happen again and not going to work out. Her voiceover continues to tell us that it's been so awkward, she's just been wanting to get out of the house. So today she decided to call up her coworker, Jordan, who's been asking her out a lot. She's not sure what Joe would think of her dating other guys while she's living in his house, so she has Jordan meet her down the street and around the corner so Joe doesn't see her get picked up. Wow, if that's not some teenager bad shit, I don't know what is. Straight up, that's some stuff I would do for real. <laughs> that's so funny. But also bad. Jordan picks her up and they go to a diner across town and end up having a really nice time. Jordan asks about baby Isaac and Kale is low-key flirting but still obviously having her guard up because she's living at her baby daddy's house. Um, but it's really a nice date outside of that. Kale's voiceover ends out their lovely date scene by saying, 
After all the drama I've had with Joe, it's nice to be around somebody who actually wants to spend time with me. Next, Kale has a very brief scene with one of her friends. She and her are talking in the backyard of Joe's house, you know, because Kale lives there, with baby Isaac, and just discussing the pros and cons of dating somebody while you're living in the house of your baby's daddy. Dumb scene short, her friend essentially ends up condoning her actions and telling her, well, you know, you're not together with Joe. You can hang out with other people. That's okay. And it really even had me thinking, okay, well, maybe Kale just doesn't understand just how bad that looks to be living with your baby's father by the grace of his mother and father allowing you to live in their home. And you truly go behind their back and around the corner to sneak around and see some dopey looking guy like no offense to jordan but he's just your absolutely awkward teenager tall gawky dude and that's fine for him and kale but not fine for joe and joe's parents so i was thinking okay maybe it's just kale not really understanding the mores of the situation and how bad it really is and then this scene happens the scene begins with kale getting ready to go putting baby isaac in a carrier and kale's voiceover saying that she wants to make the most out of the last of summer vacation so she's taking isaac to the park okay perfect and then she continues to meet Jordan. She's taking her not even one-year-old to the park to meet a guy who she's only known for maybe a few months. Maybe, ah, she really just might not understand. It might be the teenage brain not grasping how god awful that is. And then, At the same time, she never really had any good examples in her life either, did she? So I have to take all this into account, but I can't help but feel totally grossed out by this idea. And by the way, how is she getting to the park? Joe is driving them. I still haven't told Joe that I've been hanging out with someone else, but since I don't have a car, I need him to drive me. Should I just text you and I'm ready to pick up then? I guess, yeah. Who's coming? You don't know? I do. Then why do you say you don't? Because why does it matter? I'm like, asking. What the hell is your problem? I don't have a problem. Whatever. Goodbye. So I would say it's pretty clear here that Joe knows that something is going on. He's very frustrated as Kale gets out of the vehicle, and I don't think he would have asked something like that if he didn't already suspect. And based on Kale's reaction to the question, I think we can safely say that she knows that this is not cool to be sneaking around, around the corner, behind their backs, with Jordan, and especially taking baby Isaac with her. Man, really, I understand you can't find a babysitter, but isn't that what you call prioritizing? I don't know. I don't like it. But it's an interesting, very quick conversation we hear that I think tells us a lot. 
The remainder of that scene is Kale meeting up with Jordan at the park with baby Isaac. She introduces Isaac to Jordan. Jordan introduces himself to the baby. It's a big happy family, I guess. He makes baby Isaac cry by taking away his toy, but quickly makes up for it by getting them ice cream. I don't think baby Isaac has any of the ice cream, but I'm just trying to sum up this boring-ass date as quickly as I possibly can. Kale's voiceover ends out that scene by saying that she wants to spend more time with Jordan, but sneaking around like this doesn't feel right. Yeah, okay, good. So stop. This is gross. Kale's next scene opens up with her on another date with Jordan. No baby this time, but her voiceover does say that things have been getting more serious with him. We see them going some kind of bumper cart driving, I don't know, uh, laser, tag, things people do when they go outside of their homes. I don't know what these things are, uh, but they're seeming to have fun, so I guess good for them. Kale's voiceover then says, and for the first time since she and Joe broke up, she's starting to feel happy again. We see Jordan now dropping Kale off at one of her friends' house. And then Kale is shown hanging out with her friends, chatting, laughing, having a good time, trying to do a headstand. And at that point, her voiceover comes in and says, but I still haven't found a way to tell Joe that I'm seeing Jordan. And I hope my friends can help me. Tell me, dear listener, do you think her friends helped her? Well, they certainly helped her do something. As her friends and Kale are discussing the situation of Jordan not being Joe, having a new boyfriend, and how to tell your baby daddy that there is somebody, clearly the first answer you come to is post it on Facebook. That way you're telling him, but you're not really telling him. That's really what some of them said. Can you believe that? I mean, I can believe that, but that's, ooh. These are the kind of people that I'm so happy exist because when this shit does pop up on my Facebook feed, I am the first one to be like, oh, screen cap, scroll. Oh my God, what are they saying? Oh, and just like try to like stalk everybody. Like, are they saying anything anywhere else? Do they post anywhere statuses? I am all over that shit. So thank God for people like this, but super shitty if you're in that situation. Can you imagine being Joe or anybody else for that matter on the other end of that? And that's how you find out that your baby mama is dating somebody else. A Facebook update that's not even directed at you. Gross. Not good. Kale finds out just how not good that is when she gets home to Joe's house where she lives. And Joe's entire family had already heard the news. I got a, I got a question for you. Though. On Facebook, it says uh, I'm in a relationship. What does that mean? That I'm in a relationship. in a relationship. Oh, well, that's what that means. You're in a relationship with someone that's other than Jonathan? Means. Yeah. Yes. I don't understand. Three weeks ago, you wanted to be with Joe. You guys were all, you know. Yeah, but and still, we kept fighting. But I thought you guys were going to work things out. We are never going to work. Joe and I together, we can't be together. It just doesn't work. Well, that how easy that, that is seems what? too easy. Just going to another relationship so quickly. Just had a baby. Mm-hmm. You guys are living here. Are you even considering or thinking about your son? Are, did you really just ask me that? Part of being a mom, when you have your child at such a young age, you have to sacrifice more than you even know. So how do you think this is going to work out now that you're in a relationship? I told Joe, number one, that he's 
me and him are more important than anything else. And if that's going to cause problems... How, how, how easy is that for you? You just, just told me... Listen, listen, just listen to me. Can I talk? Why? You can't be alone? You, you walk around my I'm house and you tell you me you love me. I still love you. you. Me you love of me. course. Well, I don't want to hear that if you're with somebody else. That's my thing. If you're with somebody else, don't feed me that bull I don't want to hear it. All right, Joe. You don't want to be with me. And that's what you told me, so I'm trying to move on. You're trying to move on. How are you moving on? By getting involved in another relationship? No, you by, think that's moving I on? Told him I moving on is getting an education. No, Kale. It's about the baby. It's not about okay. you and Jonathan. Clearly, everyone is very upset to discover this news, and rightfully so. I don't blame them. Obviously, they're feeling very betrayed in this moment. But one thing I will say that I don't like is in this scene, and you can't tell because you're listening, but in this scene, they're in the kitchen, and it initially starts with Janet and Eddie on one side of the kitchen, and Kale and Joe on the other side of the kitchen. Joe is making something on the griddle that's on their kitchen island, and Kale is on that side of the room with him. As the scene continues to where you get to this point in the conversation... Now you have Joe on the other side of the room with his parents, and you have both Janet and Eddie on that side, kind of berating Kale, kind of coming down on her on a three-on-one basis, and I don't like that. I would understand more if this were simply reprimanding for bad behavior or breaking a rule, but this hits them on such a personal level that to say that there is not emotion behind these reprimandations would be a lie. And I believe that emotion is fueling possibly an undertone of hostility here from everybody on that Janet, Eddie, Joe side. And I, they're all hurt. And when you're hurt, you lash out as Adam so gracefully told us a few minutes ago. Obviously, people do things and regret it all the time, and maybe that's something here. But I just know if you have two adults and a ex-boyfriend baby daddy ganging up on the baby's mom, it doesn't really look that good either. So in this exact moment, I feel like no one is really behaving that well. But I also feel like it is an emotional reaction to unexpected news. I suppose there's not a lot of time really to step back and think about being fair to the teenage girl in the room. Maybe they don't feel like they owe her that because they've given her so much already. These are just ideas. I go back and forth on this one so much. Like clearly I don't think Kale is right. I don't think the way Joe treated her is right. I don't think that the way that they're ganging up on her right now is right either. I wish we could kind of go backwards and erase Jordan from the picture, but we can't. Well, I don't understand what the problem is here because me and Joe are trying to, I want to be civil with him. I want to raise our son the way we should raise him. And But you also want, want to live here, right? You guys are still and in my family. Place, and have a place to stay while you're out there dating whomever, whenever. That's not how it is. As you want to go. No? Then what is it? I don't, For all I know, you've been seeing him with my son. That's very disrespectful. You even bring my son around him and I find out? Don't let me find out. Not for nothing, but you don't solve problems by starting new problems. Because that's all you're doing. You don't even deserve to live here, and I don't even, I shouldn't even be helping you out. 
Very interesting to hear Janet in this moment kind of become Mama Bear, putting herself out there and saying, well, you want to live here, right? But you also want to be going out dating. Hmm, that doesn't work for us. And interesting the reaction that it gets where Kale almost plays the ignorance card. And I don't want to say Fane's ignorance because it might not be. I'm still on the fence as to whether or not she's just too young and immature to understand what an egregious slight this is to both Joe and his family. Janet makes it pretty clear here that if Kale wants to date at all, it should be Jonathan, Joe and not anybody else out on the streets. I would be interested to know if it was a written or implied rule in the house that Kale not be dating. I wonder if that hasn't led to some confusion and gray areas as far as hanging out versus dating versus seeing somebody versus whatever the fuck you want to call it. Basically, maybe if they had laid it out on the line like that, officially said, Kale, you cannot date while you are living in this house unless you try to work it out with Jonathan. Then I would understand them getting this ballistic and ganging up on her like that. Maybe it is something like that that we don't understand, we don't know. But since we don't know that, going off of what we have, I see a very immature girl who doesn't understand the weight and consequences of her decisions, and I see a very hurt and betrayed-feeling family and matriarchal figure who are now trying to protect what they have. It doesn't put anybody in a good situation, and it doesn't show anybody in the best light. I think it's hard to be your best self when you're presented with this kind of situation, no matter who you are. And finally, we round out with Miss Leah. Oh, Leah. Her voiceover tells us that since she last saw Corey and tried to win him back, she hasn't heard from him since, which makes dropping off the girls with him that day really awkward. We see the drop-off happen. No big fireworks or sparks. They just make the change and barely say a word. I had thought leaving that last episode that things were a little bit more optimistic than this. I really thought there was a better chance of them being, oh, I'm back in love, baby, kind of thing. But apparently it's a little bit cooler than I thought. So that's interesting. But the meat of Leah's first scene here lies with baby Aaliyah. No, Allie. Which one? Oh my gosh, it's Allie. Of course it's Allie. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm so tired and so high. But unfortunately, Leah is noticing that baby Allie is not developing at the same rate that baby Aaliyah is. Most noticeably, she's not able to put any weight on her legs, and they appear to be kind of shaped inward, whereas Aaliyah's legs are shaped straight out as legs typically are. I'm trying not to be condescending or um, prejudiced or anything like that. I just don't know the proper terminology, so I plead ignorance. However, I will say it's upsetting to hear any baby not developing properly or at the expected rate. And obviously, this recognition, this realization with Leah is alarming. 
The scene transitions to the next day. We see Leah with her mother and the twins at a park. They're going to have a little picnic. But Leah's mom is a nurse, apparently. And Leah wants her to take a look at baby Allie and see what she thinks about it. I mean, it's pretty obvious that something's not right, but I get wanting your mom to give you confirmation. When Leah and her mother sit down on the picnic blanket, or maybe they're just hanging out at the park, it doesn't matter. Leah is able to compare the two babies while she is holding Aaliyah's hands. She shows her mother how Aaliyah can support herself on her legs while Leah holds her hands. Leah, Aaliyah, oh my god. But Mama Dawn is holding baby Allie and is not able to do the same thing. It's clear at this point that she definitely should get checked out, and Mama Dawn implores Leah to make a doctor's appointment. After Leah's mom confirms that, yeah, you should probably make an appointment, Leah becomes visibly nervous, in my opinion, and what we see as viewers as the first thing she asks her mom is, well, she won't have to go into surgery, will she? So now I know why she decided to ask her mom first instead of going to the doctor. If it was going to be really bad news, she wanted to hear it from her mom. Unfortunately, her mom might be a nurse, but is not qualified to make that call. So she might still have to hear some tough news. A very nerve-wracking time for Leah here. She closes out that scene with her voiceover saying, if anything is seriously wrong with baby Allie, she doesn't know how she's going to handle it. I can't imagine, like so many of these things these girls go through, I could not imagine. More power to my mothers out there. You have such stronger hearts than I do. I couldn't bear it. Oh my gosh, I, I feel so awful for her in this moment. And I just, I hope the best for baby Allie. I also wanted to take just a quick moment here. I notice in these scenes with Allie, when we're really kind of focusing on her a lot, that she's got this red V on her forehead, and I've always wondered what that is, and for the sake of this podcast, you guys, I finally gave it a hasty Google search. Aren't you proud of me? So let me read to you what the first thing that pops up when you Google V on baby's forehead. Stork bite is the common term for nevus simplex, a birthmark that shows up on a third of all newborns. Stork bite is also referred to as a salmon patch because of its pink and flat appearance. It can show up on a baby's forehead, eyelids, nose, upper lip, or back of the neck, and usually disappears in about 18 months. How interesting! I had no idea. So there's your little hastily researched fact from about this time of day. In Leah's next scene, we see her on a shopping trip with her sister Victoria and her friend Kayla, who I always think is her sister Victoria, but is not. Leah's voiceover tells us that she wanted to start nursing school soon, but since there might be something wrong with Allie, she's had to put it on hold. She's made a doctor's appointment for Allie, but hasn't told Corey about it yet. Then we are focused on the scene of the three of them shopping. Leah is holding baby Aaliyah and gives off a heavy sigh <sighs> while they're looking at makeup in the store. Leah's sister and her friend Kayla turn to her and ask, what's wrong? And then Leah proceeds to tell them she's worried about baby Allie. And then her friends and her sister act like this is the first they've heard about it and 
ask what's wrong, what's going on with her. Then Leah proceeds to tell them the whole terrible, sad story of what may or may not be wrong with Allie in the middle of a makeup store while it's supposed to be this casual hangout. Do you think that's a conversation that you casually have with your friends at the makeup store? Hell fucking no. When I'm in Sephora, I am not talking about my fibromyalgia or whatever the fuck else might be wrong with me. Y'all don't want to hear about it when you're shopping. It really brings down the mood, okay? But no, seriously though, I just can't believe that this is the first time they're hearing about it. And I don't know why MTV chose to set up this conversation in one, a public space. Two, a public commercialized space, which is very sanitized and extremely detached from the seriousness that could be what might be wrong with Allie. No, we don't know. But now we're going to hear Leah just talk about it very offhandedly. You cannot begin to appreciate the gravity of a situation like this when you're in the middle of shopping. This is not one of those moments. I'm kind of bothered about Allie. Mm, What's wrong with her? Her legs are like still, like her one leg, I swear she was like bent in like this. And then both of her feet are like flexed back. And then her hands, they're like this, but they don't like, she only closes them like this. Come here, you can, you can see like what it looks like. Really? Really? In the middle of the store? In the middle of the store, you're going to have your friends and your sister come over and inspect your daughter? Is this not a living room conversation, MTV? Was there no living room we could have used to have this conversation? Not one. We had to go to a makeup store? Now, I will tell you that I'm sure that they have cleared the place out. I don't see another person in the store during this scene at all, but that is beyond the point. The point is that MTV thought that a conversation of this serious measure should be taken out to the makeup store. I I don't even know. If you don't see what's wrong with that, I don't know if I can explain it any better. I'm sorry. I'm usually really good at that and explaining exactly why I hate something, but this is just rubbing me the wrong way and I don't like it and I wish Leah would just take it home, but I'm sure there's other other factors that we viewers don't know about and I need to just take a deep breath and move on. After Kayla and Victoria get a good look at baby Allie, they continue the conversation by asking Leah if she's told Corey yet that she's made the doctor's appointment for baby Allie. Leah says no, we just fucking heard that on her voiceover. Is that the whole point of this conversation? Really? To get to what Corey knows? Because then all they end up saying in return is that, oh, You better call him if you want him to come. Do you know when he gets off work? This is like a fucking waste of my time. And the only reason I'm even including it is because I think it's just so ridiculous. But essentially, that's how the scene ends. They tell her to call him and her voiceover doesn't even close it out. We just see her sighing and looking forlornly and I don't know, not knowing what eyeshadow to pick. Mm, mm -mm, I didn't like this scene, if you couldn't tell. In Leah's next scene, she does indeed call Corey to ask if he could come with her to the doctor's appointment for Allie. Unfortunately, it seems that Corey is unable to get any time off of work to come to the doctor's appointment, but let him know how it goes. So, great. That doesn't leave Leah in a very good position, at least as far as wanting some companionship to help her get through this. And 
I don't know if I can fully blame Corey here because he probably works some kind of laborer job. I don't know what kind of PTO they get or how days off work there. I doubt it's generous, especially back then in 2010. And I would just think that if he's saying that he can't get off work, it's because he needs to be at work. So I'll give Corey this. I don't really think he's the type of guy who would opt out of a doctor's appointment. But as I'm saying that, maybe it's too heavy for him. Maybe he would rather not go and just be informed later. He doesn't want to know if his daughter is unwell, which is understandable. Maybe work is just a convenient excuse. I just did a complete 180 on my entire point, but isn't that why you listen to the show? The bottom line remains that I don't want to blame Corey here. I feel like his intentions are good, and he's not saying no in order to be abandoning Leah. He's saying no either because he really has to work or because the prospect of facing Allie's deficiencies is just too much for him where he's at. It sucks, though, because I wish Leah did have some support here because it's probably a super scary place to be. In Leah's next scene, we see her at the doctor's office with baby Allie. She was able to get Corey's stepmother to go to the appointment with her because both Corey and Leah's mother were unable to get off of work to go. The scene continues and we see Allie undergo her appointment. Some x-rays are done and she is inspected by the doctor. The doctor says to Leah and Corey's stepmother that it's pretty obvious that there are some deficiencies here, especially if the twin of this baby is okay, but this one is having so much obvious trouble. She'll probably need an MRI of her entire spine. That's not easy news to hear. An MRI isn't a huge deal, but to need one at less than a year old fucking sucks. The doctor asks if they have any questions or anything else at that time, they only ask about setting up the MRI, the doctor lets them know the office will call them, and he heads on out. After that, Leah calls Corey to let him know the news, and she's immediately crying on the phone, and I can't blame her. It's terrible news to hear. Something's wrong with her baby, and the doctor can't really tell her any more than what he already has right now. Part of me thinks that Leah was hoping that Allie would go to this appointment, the doctor would look at her and be like, oh, no, 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 she'll grow out of it. Something simple like that. But unfortunately, we can't always be that lucky. Leah's next scene is a rough one. She has returned home from the doctors with Allie and now has to update Corey on everything that happened. She lets Corey know that there's nothing skeletally wrong with her legs. The bones are fine. She's not bow-legged but she doesn't have a lot of reaction in the nerve endings there. Leah also adds that she was too upset to ask the doctor if Allie would be able to walk. The news really hits both of them hard, and for Leah, just reiterating that was difficult for her, and she's crying already. Corey then asks her to go outside with him so they can get some fresh air. Leah and Corey head outside and sit on the back of someone's truck, one of their trucks, and just kind of start to open up to each other about how difficult this really is. Truthfully, guys, it's another tearjerker. 
I'm holding back tears right now just talking about it, so I'm not getting heavy into this. Just understand that this entire episode ends out with Corey and Leah having an extremely heartfelt conversation where they end up holding each other and crying and I think resolving to fix the relationship and get back together and try to do this for Allie and Aaliyah's sake so heartwarming and so heartbreaking. I really can't handle these two because I do see so much love there when they're talking. Oh my god. I do see so much love there when they're talking and I so believe in them in a hopelessly romantic way. I don't know if it's logical. I don't know if it's practical, but by God, I think these kids can make it. And as of right now, in this moment, in this episode, they think so too. So more power to you guys. Please, I want you to make it work. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am getting tired of these heavy, heavy episodes. So much cringing and so much holding back tears with Corey and Leah. I just can't take it. I hope we have some more comedic Janelle moments coming up. But either way, thank you so much for joining me on another session of About This Time of Day, a Teen Mom podcast. And please be sure to join us next time where we are discussing episode three of Teen Mom 2, Change of Heart. And I think we saw that Leah and Corey had a change of heart. Janelle had a change of heart in this episode, but Barbara didn't. Uh, So I'm interested to see what might be coming up in episode three and what other hearts might be changing. Until then, you can catch us on Instagram or Twitter at A-T-T-O-D podcast on Instagram or Twitter. That is the acronym for the show about this time of day. And I will be honest, I'm pretty much on Instagram a little bit more than I am Twitter these days. And if you've been paying attention, I did completely forget to update both the Instagram and the Twitter for the new session. So I guess go ahead and subscribe. I don't like telling people that, but if I'm going to be that bad at updating the social media, I guess I should ask you to. You don't have to. It's cool. But regardless, ATTOD podcast is where you can find us on Instagram or Twitter. And before we round out this session, I just want to wish all my listeners a happy 420 coming up this week, if all goes according to plan and I get this posted in time. This is our second 420 together, guys. I am so happy to be sharing it with you. And, you know, I go so hard on 420 every year, so I cannot wait. I just know there are going to be some tough decisions that I have to make. Like, should I roll a blunt even though I just ate a 100 milligram edible? My head is like, what the hell are you thinking? And what is your heart saying? My heart's like, just try it. You're strung out on weed. Don't leave.